Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, a weekly conversation about mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. To get more information, visit the website at therapyforblackgirls.com. And while I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 72 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. Today, we're focusing on many of the complexities related to being a caregiver. And for this conversation, I was joined by Renette Arnold, who is a licensed clinical social worker in Atlanta. Renette has over 13 years of clinical, consulting, and program evaluation experience nationally and internationally. A graduate from Georgia State University with a BS in psychology and a minor in sociology, Renette continued her education pursuing a Master of Social Work at the University of Georgia with a concentration in clinical practice. Currently, Renette is licensed in the state of Georgia and Florida as a clinical social worker and holds a national certification as a master addiction counselor. Renette is the founder and CEO of the Empowerment Agency, a behavioral health consulting firm headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. Renette's passion to serve the aging and those who care for adults stems from her personal life of being the baby child born to a 60-year-old father and 41-year-old mother. During high school, she began to observe the complex needs related to the aging population due to her mother and father's experiences. During her senior year of high school, her now-deceased father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, resulting in her mother stepping into the role of caregiver and head of household. Currently, she provides respite to her sister and brother-in-law who provide caregiver support to her aging mother. Understanding the laughs, tears, and precious moments related to caring for adults, Renette added this service component to her work at the Empowerment Agency. Renette and I discussed some of the common challenges that come up for caregivers, managing your emotions as a caregiver, how to engage your support system, why self-care is so important as a caregiver, and how to engage in clear and effective communication with family and friends. If you hear something you think others should also hear, please share it with us on social media using the hashtag TBG in session. Here's our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today, Renette. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy we were finally able to align our schedule so that you could come on and talk about this topic. Um, it's been a heavily requested topic. And so once I found out that you had this expertise, I knew you were the one I wanted to come on and chat about it. So I'm happy you were able to join us today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. This is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart personally and professionally. Yeah. So can you just start by telling us a little bit about some of the common challenges that come up for people once they become caregivers for their 
parents or other loved ones? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the main challenges that individuals experience is how do I maintain balance of being myself as well as stepping into this caregiver role? Oftentimes, these are our loved ones, our parents, possibly a sibling, who we want to provide the most loving care and support for. And so we end up diving in head first without thinking about what is my own self-care? How do I balance my relationships, whether it's with a significant other, work employees, or other interpersonal relationship? And then how do I maintain my work? So those are the full spectrum of challenges that they experience around finding balance. I would also say there's often a lot of shame and stigma. Many times individuals, when their loved ones are experiencing these challenges, it's hard to see them in those positions and those places. And so how do I go out into the community every day and when someone asks about my loved one, share that this is what is going on, especially if I don't have a full understanding of it or I don't know how to relate or how the other person may respond to what's going on. Okay, so you brought up a lot of good points and I want to make sure that we kind of give attention to all of those things, like the spectrum of issues that you mentioned. But I'm also aware that a lot of times this happens really swiftly, right? Like sometimes you can plan for like a parent getting older and like, okay, this is how we're going to transition and do these things. But sometimes, you know, there's a health challenge that causes you to become a caregiver without any planning. So I'm curious about, you know, especially like the financial piece of that, like how you manage when you might not be stable yourself, right? And then to have to take on maybe, you know, significant other costs related to caregiving for a loved one. Absolutely. Great question. So one of the things that we've noticed is that particularly, let's say the individual has a sudden illness, such as a stroke that leaves them to where they have to have caregivers to provide that support. We would want to sit down to do a financial assessment immediately, not something to judge or for you to feel ashamed or to, you know, remind you that, hey, you know, I'm having difficulty taking care of myself and now I'm stepping into this role. You want to look at your finances to figure out strategically what do I have coming in what's going out and what can I do moving forward because one of the main challenges goes back to if I'm providing caregiver support what does that do to my employment Oftentimes, individuals miss days of work due to caring for their loved one or taking them to their appointments or being at home when someone is coming in to provide that in-home support. Okay, so a financial plan would be where you would start, you're saying. What other things would you want to be looking at, especially if this was something that happened suddenly? So there are also case managers in the community. One of the things that I've brought on in my organization is an insurance specialist. Um, This lady is certified in I believe 48 of the 50 states where she can identify what insurance policies may the individual be eligible for, but also what other mainstream benefits are available in the community so that we can help lift some of that financial burden, but also identify what other resources are available for you or the individual you're caring for may now be eligible for. Yeah, I'm sure that would be a really important resource to look at, right? Because that could help to relieve some of the financial burden that you may be expecting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing is, if you have a family, sometimes we work with large sized families who some of the children or um, relatives may have additional funds and are able to provide support. We may get into this a little bit later, but not 
everyone is a caregiver. So if we look at what tools and resources and skill sets are available in your support system, someone may be able to assist and provide financial assistance for certain things that the loved one may need. So you also mentioned, Renette, the whole idea of like, how do you talk to maybe like a partner about these things? Or like, how does the partnership kind of manage this? How do you manage this at work? Like, what are your tips for that? So I would say the first thing to do is just be open and honest in terms of what's going on. Sometimes we try to dive into this caregiver role being a superhero. I'm going to swoop in and I'm going to do everything that I need to do to help provide support for my loved one. And although I know in our heart and in our mind, that's exactly what we want to do. At the end of the day, we're human and we need support. We need assistance. Now, one of the first things I would do, I would sit down with my family unit or with my partner and talk about this is the incident. This is what's going on right now with our loved one. And this is the overall goal. This is what we're trying to do. But then I would think about, okay, what's reasonable? What can we do right now that's reasonable for myself and for you? And so if you get that input in advance and provide that support to say, this is what I can do. And are you able or capable of helping me with anything? There may be instances where your loved one or support system is able to provide more support, especially in families where individuals live nearby or if they live out of state. We've seen situations where families have created plans where the loved one may be with one child 50% of the time and the other child the next 50% of the time. In relation to work, again, I would have this conversation with my um, supervisors. Again, I always preface, think about the culture of your organization in terms of how much information you share. But I do think it's worth having a conversation to say this is what's going on. Oftentimes, people go into workplaces thinking that they're able to mask this new caregiver role, and it tends to bleed through into our work, into our interactions, and our companies, our jobs, our clients don't know what's going on, but we're still being impacted by this new role. So having that conversation, possibly sitting down with HR, having that conversation to see what are your options. Thinking about the trajectory of this new role, what could it look like long term? What are my options? What's available to me? And then tapping into your EAP or therapist. Um, I believe in therapy as preventative um, support so that you can help talk through some of the complications that you are experiencing, whether it's complications in terms of your role, but also you wrapping your mind frame around how do I now adjust to this new role, everything that I'm seeing and experiencing. Yeah, and I definitely want to talk more about that because I think this is like so multi-layered because one like now you're you may be thrust into this new role that you were not maybe necessarily planning to have right now but I also think that there are some real like just emotional kinds of responses you know like there may be some grief related to you losing independence and you didn't think that would happen so soon or you know just like uh, like you mentioned like the difficulty balancing this new role with kind of who you thought you were yeah I will definitely 
definitely say the caregiver role, and again, I always speak to it from both a personal and professional relationship, is probably one of the most emotionally taxing roles that you will ever experience. So much that oftentimes individuals feel isolated as if no one understands. Going into the caregiver role and watching your loved one or your parents basically not be able to do the things that they were able to do or your expectations of what they can do can be very emotionally draining to you. So much that some individuals have identified it as being traumatic to them. So it's you dealing with those emotions. One of the things that our agency that we do, we have real conversations. We've had some people come in and say, you know what, this is very emotionally draining on me. How do I cope with this? How do I wrap my mind around or go through these stages of grief? Because now that's what I'm doing. I'm grieving my idea of what I thought my parents would be able to do or what my loved one would be able to do. And we process that out. Now, the times where we really get to, I'll say the nitty gritty of things and have real conversations is where we have individuals who come in and they may say, you know, I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, or, you know, I don't want to do this and I was forced into this role. And we create a safe space to say, you know what, that's okay. It's okay to feel exactly how you are feeling. Now let's process it out so that we can allow you to, you know, be truthful and honest with yourself, but also um, still be productive, still provide the level of support and figure out what is it that you need as the caregiver and what is it that the individual needs. And I think that's a really good or important point to highlight, Renette, because I think particularly culturally, right, like we are kind of raised to kind of have this level of reverence for our parents. And so talking about the fact that you're angry about having to do this, you know, and just frustrated with the process, I think can be very taboo, especially in the Black community. So being able to kind of create a space for saying like, this doesn't feel good to me, you know, this is tough, I'm going to do it, but I don't feel good about it. I think being able to give people that space to say that is really important. It is. And I cannot tell you how many times individuals have in their close, intimate support systems. Let's say it's a daughter, adult daughter who's taking care of her mother or father, and she may have a husband or one sibling. Well, if they have made an agreement to say, this is our plan, this is what we are going to do, especially in cases where the individual has now went beyond that point where you can provide that in-home care, it's just becoming too much, as I describe it. And that too much is based on each individual. What may be too much for me may be different from someone else. But if we've come to an agreement that this is too much, when you then start to go out into those outside or extended family members or into the community and share, well, we have reached a point where, you know, we're just going to um, have to place mom into a nursing home. That caregiver is faced then with the reaction from the community, which may not be as supportive. Often it isn't. So then you have to, again, deal with processing and challenging and standing up for yourself to say, I have did everything that I can do up until this point. And we have made a decision to say this is the next placement or the care for my loved one. Yeah. And I would imagine that those are tough conversations to have, again, because of, you know, what we are taught to believe about what should happen with our parents. Absolutely. 
absolutely. But I always say I try to remind people resources, support, and facilities are in place for a reason. There are ways for us to manage it and get the support that we need so that we can, again, have that balance for ourselves. Um, I definitely believe in if that is the next transition, there are steps that you can take so that you can get the most out of that experience. You know, making sure that you visit facilities, making sure that you have consistent contact with those facilities so that they know that you are involved and that you are aware. Oftentimes when we see cases of loved ones being um, neglected or abused in facilities is when they don't have that outside support to check in with them and make sure that they're okay or let facilities know that, hey, you know, this isn't just a displaced loved one. They have family who are coming in and checking on them as well. So, Renette, you also mentioned that one of the responses that you might have to becoming a caregiver is frustration. Um, and one of the one of our listeners wrote in talking about um, frustration related to like your parent not doing what they need to do to kind of take care of their medical needs, right? You know, like sometimes not wanting to keep doctor's appointments or just you know, not doing what they need to do maybe to be in the best health. Um, So what are your strategies for kind of talking through some of that, like frustration with a parent who doesn't want to do what they need to do? So my clients who experience that, I often first have a real conversation with them. I have that conversation to reiterate, because often they know, but to reiterate the fact that your loved one is an adult. So they're still an adult. They're still making choices and decisions and you cannot want it more than they do. Oftentimes, individuals who are experiencing that, you know, as they go through their life stages, this is a very difficult transition for them as well. So I try to remind them and get them to reflect back on who their parent was prior to this stage and how they operated and who they are now and understand that, you know, they may feel a sense of, I don't want to be a burden. Mm -hmm. Or they may feel a sense of hopelessness or helplessness. They may feel a sense of, I just want to give up. Now, do we sit and just allow them to give up? I don't recommend that, but we just have to come to that understanding that this may be where they are. So some of my strategies to help with that is to have a conversation with them. I believe in just having open, honest dialogue and going to them and saying and talking about and identifying what are you truly capable of and what do you want to do and then reiterating that I want to support you to the best that I can or the best of my ability but I cannot want it more than you want it. There have been other times where I've had individuals say these are the things that I have observed that you are able to do. Why aren't you doing those now? Let's talk about that. Or even connecting that loved one to therapy to say, you know, maybe you need to process some of this stuff because this is a difficult situation that you are experiencing of someone who has a loss of independence. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it definitely sounds like that would be a good thing, right? Maybe for that person to have their own therapist, but it also seems like some family therapy could be helpful in some of these situations. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's it's a family dynamic. Right. Is impacted, whether you are the primary caregiver, secondary, whether you're states away, et cetera, everyone is impacted and everyone plays a role. And oftentimes the primary caregiver is isolated because they don't know how to either reach out for support or they may be reaching out and not getting the support that they feel like they need. So I want to talk more about these family dynamics, because I think when you often hear about like 
family drama. A lot of times, like these kinds of situations tend to be what either spark all of these dynamics kind of coming out of the closet or they definitely heighten them, right? And so, you know, sometimes you will see either like an only child who now has to kind of take this on and like how do they get support? But other times, you know, there may be like multiple siblings and then like all of the caregiving may fall on one of the siblings and then what does that do to the entire sibling relationship? So can you talk more about some of those kind of um, dynamics that you do see come out of these kinds of situations? Absolutely. That only child may walk into that caregiver role by choice or by force, depending on their perception of it and what their um, abilities are in related to caregiving. So this is where my belief in informal and formal support systems really stands out. I believe that we have the ability to create our own support systems. So when you are only child and you have limited supports, you have to reach out to both informal or formal supports, whoever that may be, whether it may be a aunt or uncle or a friend or a neighbor, for example, and then also what agencies or community resources are available that I can tap into to help me provide or help provide support such as respite and whatnot. I'll use case in point, and again, personal and professional, my family, for example, my mother right now has Alzheimer's and she resides in Florida with my sister. My sister is her primary caregiver. We do divvy up some time. Now I'll also add, and I'll be transparent, my sister has a level of caregiver skills that Renette does not possess at all. (laughs) Um, my, My patience is a bit thin, and especially when it comes to my mother. So I have to account for some of my own skills and attitudes and how I process dealing with this. So I provide support based on what we have agreed to and also what I feel comfortable with. Now, we also have an agreement that if in the event it ever becomes too much and my mother needs to come stay with me for respite, as in she needs to come stay here for a period of time to give my sister a break, we do that. We have an open relationship at our open communication plan to where she can voice and say, hey, I'm booking mom a trip and she'll be there for 30 days. (laughs) And I'm okay with that because we've set that up from the beginning. It's not something that I'm just, she's just throwing on me to do last minute or in spite of. So again, I think it's about laying and setting up the platform in advance to say, this is how we're going to approach this for right now. How do we how do we sound the alarm just in case something isn't going right or just in case I'm having a difficult time and I need support? Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because I do think it's important to just have the conversations, right? Like it, it feels like these taboo topics that we don't often want to talk about just because people are probably having their own reactions to whatever the situation is now. But there are some very real things that need to be put in place. And so it sounds like having these conversations, being open to modifications, you know, just kind of like you said, continuing to have a space for a conversation is really important, especially with a sibling set. Absolutely. Having tough conversations 
conversations. And I always say, if you don't have them now, you're going to have it later. So I would rather jumpstart the conversation and have a tentative plan in place versus waiting until something occurs where we're in a moment of crisis. I'm emotionally charged and could be drained. And you are then frustrated because I'm calling on you at the last minute. But we can talk about it in advance and try to figure out what can we do moving forward. Yeah, and I think the alternative is to not have the conversation, but then you are left with all these lingering feelings of resentment and maybe abandonment that your siblings didn't step in when they said they were going to or when you thought they needed to, right? So it's either have the conversation or then maybe have some like lasting impacts to the relationship. Absolutely. And a lot of the times we end up facilitating that conversation and dialogue between family members because it can be very emotionally charged. And then thinking about family dynamics, there's a whole history that has occurred between these family members prior to this one incident or this crisis situation. So how do we help them navigate these relationships in order to create an effective plan that helps support this loved one? That's, that's key, Renette, because you're right. I mean, how often are there things already going on between family members that are not like healed or addressed and then something like this laid on top of it then makes everything feel you know even more tense so it sounds like there's like there's likely some work that needs to be done with the foundation of the relationship before you maybe even can get into okay how can we handle this current situation absolutely absolutely it magnifies those situations that were already there and oftentimes never addressed right so I want to go back a little bit to Um, like if you're an only child, what are some resources or um, like things that you've seen maybe be helpful for other only children to be able to get some support? Because I do think that that is probably a very isolating and very heavy situation to manage when you don't at least have other siblings to help you out with it. As an only child, one of the first thing I would ask is, are they currently engaged in any therapy services? Because that will help them process what they will experience moving forward. One of the biggest recommendations that I often make is making sure that they are connected to a support group. It could help connect them to someone who is like them, similar to them, also an only child, or just a family of peers who they can communicate with, who they can check in with, and who they can also process during those support groups the feelings that they are feeling. So they're not isolated. Another thing that I would do, I recommend books that help them process process and gather more information regarding what they will experience. Two of the books that I really focus on is the Caregiver Survival Book, and this is by Alexis Abramson. It's A-L-E-X-I-S A-B-R-A-M-S-O-N and then the 36 Hour Day. And so this, the 36 Hour Day is specifically for individuals who have Alzheimer's or dementia to help them identify what they can do to help their days more effective, take care of themselves, and also deal with what they're going to experience with their loved one. So very insightful books. They help individuals just process out what they are going through. And then for the conversations with siblings, um, so, you know, let's say that you did have a group of siblings that came to you and said, hey, you know, now we are charged with taking care of our parents. What kinds of things should we be considering? What kinds of things would you be addressing with them? So I would still recommend the same books for them because I want them each to get an idea of what they will experience. 
even if they're not going to be the primary caregiver. So they will have an understanding of what the primary caregiver will experience because oftentimes there are going to be a time where that person calls that sibling up or that loved one up to vent, <laughs> to vent and say, you know, this is what's going on. And we want them to at least be empathic and have a general understanding of what they are experiencing. Again, creating that opportunity to have open, honest dialogue. I tell them up front, you all are going to need to build or create a level of communication that you may not have ever had before. And you have to allow each individual to be open, honest, and transparent in order to continue that relationship and for it to be a positive relationship. Um, Some other things that I do is create a plan. So we'll put it in writing in terms of this is what each person will be responsible for. These are some of the expectations. And then this is the tentative plan that if a crisis situation occurs, this is what some of the next steps are so that you have an added layer of support. And we put it in writing so that individuals can see these are the conversations that we had and this is my role in it, just as a reminder. So I do know, Renette, and you've kind of alluded to this, but I do think it's important to kind of just be able to call this out directly, that like burnout for caregivers is really, really high, right? Because like you said, you are now thrust into this additional role that carries a lot of responsibility, a lot of commitment and time um, on top of likely everything else you were doing. So you may already be a mom and a partner and you know an employee and all of these things and now you're also responsible for maybe some caregiving responsibilities so what tips would you give for how to take care of yourself in the midst of everything else going on here so my suggestion from the jump is to do a self-care plan there are tons of self-care plans on the internet if anyone contacts me I will send them a template or worksheet with self-care plans, but you're looking at different aspects of your life, your physical health, your emotional health, your financial health, your spiritual health, and you can add in sections and creating a plan of how do I maintain positive self-care for myself. I often say if you wait until you get the notion that you need self-care, you've waited too late. Not that you can't start, but you needed it way back when. Create those self-care plans. Begin to eat healthy. Look at your diet. Start to do the physical exercise. Look at your finances. And I say that especially because you want to reduce the amount of stress that is occurring. I also look at what other self-care activities that help promote mental wellness, things like yoga, I'm a huge proponent of, meditation, things like that, just so you can help ground yourself and breathe through some of the stuff that you are experiencing as a person. Also, journaling is very helpful. If you feel like you're in a position where you may not be able to communicate what you are feeling, you can journal it out. Journal it out to yourself, your private thoughts, so that you can process that information out and have a safe space for it and then move on. That definitely sounds good. And I love that you said, you know, if you're already thinking about it, you're probably too late, right? Like to, and this I think could be helpful for anybody, right? Because most of us are managing multiple roles, right? And so I think making sure that you have like a really good idea of a self-care plan and to just get in the habit of doing some of these things can be helpful, whether you're a caregiver or not. Absolutely. And and talk about that self-care plan with those who are in, especially 
especially close proximity with you. So if you have children or a significant other or a spouse who lives with you, talk about the importance of your self-care plan and let them know these times where I have carved out time for self-care or to go to the gym or to go to yoga or to have, even if it's just 30 minutes of alone or quiet time, how important it is for you to honor that time. Yeah, getting everybody on board is really helpful. And I think it's also good modeling, right? That you are saying, I'm taking this time for myself and that it will also be okay for you to take time for yourself should you need it. Absolutely, absolutely. And then loved ones will pick up on it. We've had Mm -hmm. patients where individuals have said, I know when my caretaker goes into the room at... 4.30 p.m. that she's taken that 30 minutes to regroup before the children get home from sports and whatnot. So I try not to bother her for those 30 minutes. And then they will also institute a code word to say, but if I say this, that lets her know that I need her right here and right now. So it must be something urgent or imminent that I need in order to let her know that, hey, I need your help and I'm going to interrupt your self-care time. Yeah, that's a really good strategy. I like that. So besides the two books that you um, shared, are there other resources that you find yourself um, frequently suggesting to your clients? Absolutely. AARP has an amazing website of resources and tools for caregivers. The VA also has a resource database for caregivers. So they have tons of informational pamphlets on caregiver duties, some things that you may experience, resources, but also questions to take into consideration as you go along in this journey. And because it is, it's a journey for yourself as the caregiver, as well as for the individual who is in need of caregiver support. All right. So you mentioned that you have the templates available, but I'm also excited to hear anything else that you have available that may be helpful to the listeners that um, where they can find more resources from you. Absolutely. So we are actually in the process of revamping our site. We have received many requests for this caregiver um, support. And so we're creating a better resource section on our website at www.empowered, E-M-P-O-W-E-R-E-D dash consultants with an S dot com. So under our resource tab, we will have a plethora of resources, handbooks, handouts, et cetera, that are for caregivers, as well as we've added that insurance specialist to our staff and to our organization. The thing that we are so excited about this insurance specialist is not only is she licensed in states to provide insurance, she has an amazing skill set to walk through the different parts of Medicare and other insurance policies to talk about some of the benefits or why a plan may be better for this individual. We're not selling the insurance, but we are walking family members through. One of the greatest complications that we hear or challenges that families provide is that they didn't know what insurance was the best fit for their loved one or which ones had the most financial benefits for their loved ones. So She's taking time to walk through these cases with either the individual, if they're able to understand and comprehend, or the caregiver to explain what exactly Medicare is providing, offering, and what's the best fit for them. Okay, so that sounds like a service somebody may be able to take part in regardless of what state they're in, right? 
Absolutely. As long as she's licensed in one of those states. Absolutely. (laughs) Got you. Okay. And we've already got your website. Are there other places online, any social media handles that you want to share? So, yeah, I would definitely want to share my Instagram. It is empowerment underscore agency. We'll be sharing a lot of information there as well. In terms of Facebook, we do have an amazing Facebook page, www.facebook.com. It's the Empowerment Agency. And we also have a Facebook group. Now, because there's a broad spectrum of caregiver support, this Facebook group is called Replenish because we want to replenish our caregivers. We want them to be poured back into so they're not depleted or walking around in need of something. So this Facebook group is called Replenish support for adults caring for other adults. And all of that information will be included in the show notes so nobody has to try to remember that if they're driving or something. Awesome. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us today, Renette. I know that it will be super helpful for people who need it. Awesome. Thank you for having me. And again, we're here as a resource and support. If we can answer any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. Thank you, Renette. I'm so thankful Renette was able to share her expertise with us today. To check out the resources that she shared and to learn more about her practice, visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 72. And please make sure to share this episode with two people in your life or share your takeaways in your IG stories. Make sure to use the hashtag TBG in session so that we can share them. If you're looking for a therapist in your area, be sure to visit the therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com directory. And if you want to continue this conversation and join a community of other sisters who listen to the podcast, join us over in the Thrive Tribe at therapyforblackgirls.com tribe. Make sure you answer the three questions that are asked to gain entry. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. And I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Thank you.